Church of Christ presents Fear is Easy, Love is Hard. The sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, May 19th, 2019. The beginning of my sermon feels a little frail right in this moment, because when I looked at the lessons this week, I thought, well, love one another. No one's ever said that in a church before. I was feeling a tad cynical. I had spent too much time reading online news, and I thought, love, that's nice. Rainbows and bunnies and flowers. Springtime and rosebuds. First love and long-lasting love and love again after loss. It's so easy to make love a hallmark movie full of sentiment and soft lighting and warm, tender feelings. Don't get me wrong, I like those things. I like warmth and tenderness, and gentle feelings. I like them a lot, but I also listen to the news a lot. And warmth and tenderness seem like a frail response to all that is wrong with the world. Even in my own small world, no matter how much warmth and tenderness my closest families and friends ignite in me, even there, tenderness is not constant because irritation and impatience and judgment creep in. Because sometimes I'm irritable and cranky, and sometimes so are they. Because sometimes there is too much work to be done and not enough time to do it, and I just don't feel like being sacrificial in my giving, even to the people I love the best. Because love is tenderness and warmth and understanding, But love is also work. Love cooks and cleans and lifts and fixes. Love gets up early to encourage and stays up late to console. Love rejoices in the other person's good. Love listens. And all of that is before I even get outside my door. Love is obviously not just the tender feelings that the word evokes. And I know so many of you know from long experience that love is work. That even with those closest to us, it does not always come easy. And as both Jesus' command to love and the story from the Acts of the Apostles makes clear, it is not enough to love the ones we already like and feel drawn to. The ones we feel kinship and identity with. The ones who fill us automatically with feelings of warmth and tenderness. It isn't enough to love just the ones who belong to our group, our religion or state or region or country, the ones who speak our language and get our jokes, understand our cultural references. The love that Jesus calls his disciples to, the love that the Spirit called Peter to, that love has no boundaries. Imagine with me for a moment that you are Peter. Peter, that most human and fallible of disciples. You've come through the experience of loving and learning from Jesus, of being the disciple first to step up and often last to understand. 
You've survived the trauma of Jesus's arrest, your own betrayal of him, and his tortured death. You've been in the depths of fear and despair, hiding with the rest of the gang, fearing and wondering if all your denials have gone for nothing and that the Romans will be coming for you next. Despairing and wondering how you could have betrayed someone you had just moments before promised to follow and stick with even unto death. You've survived the jolt and the joy of the resurrection. The shame of your failure has been wiped out in the joy and acceptance as the newly risen Christ, who both was and wasn't the earthly Jesus, breathed the spirit and peace into you. And now, finally, finally, you are on your path. Filled with the peace of Christ and the power of the Spirit, you are leading the way as Jesus' followers spread the good news that the kingdom is right here. You've been traveling among your own Jewish communities, teaching, healing, and baptizing. Just now, moments ago, you were in Joppa, called by some of the Jesus people there to respond to the death of the disciple Tabitha. It's been an emotional time, and you settle in for a peaceful moment of prayer and meditation up on the roof, while members of the community make a meal down below. But immediately, your calm is deepened into some sort of trance, and you see and hear things that make no sense. A voice commands you to kill and eat from a great sheet of cloth lowered down and filled with every kind of bird and animal, even the kinds that God specifically forbade you to eat. You answer in surprise, of course not. I've never eaten anything non-kosher. But the voice urges you on. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. If God says it's okay, it's okay. You try to settle back into prayer, but the trance has not lifted. And the whole thing happens again. Same sheet, same animals, same voice. You make the same response, maybe with a little note of indignation this time. Of course not. I would never eat something non-kosher. And the same rejoinder. If God says it's okay, it's okay. And then a third time. Finally, the whole sheet disappears, and you are left wondering what to make of it all. Meanwhile, over in Caesarea, there is a Gentile who prays with the Jews, a good man, a God-fearing man named Cornelius, and he has received his own vision. An angel dressed in light has instructed him to send over to Joppa because there is someone there who has something to teach him. And this angelic messenger has the details. Send someone to find Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, the one whose house is by the seaside. I love those details. As Peter's odd trance vision ends, and he is sitting in the mystery of it, trying to figure out what it might mean, Cornelius's men arrive just in that moment, and Peter begins to see a connection. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. And so he goes, and once he gets there, 
and begins to speak, the Spirit of God fell on the gathered Gentiles, just as it had on the first Jewish followers of Jesus. This story is so important to the unfolding of the church that it is recorded twice, once in chapter 10 as straight narrative, and then again in today's reading from chapter 11 as a recital that Peter makes in defense of himself. He's defending himself because he has been accused by the other leaders in Jerusalem of having accepted hospitality from Gentiles, of having eaten with them, a thing that was not done. Now, avoiding table fellowship with Gentiles was not about rudeness or a sense of superiority. It was a desire to keep the laws of kashrut. In order to observe the laws they had received from God about what it is good for God's people to eat and what it is forbidden for God's people to eat, one could not eat with Gentiles. They didn't know the rules. Peter interprets the whole experience as a new revelation. His vision, Cornelius's vision, the arrival of Cornelius's messengers just at the moment that the trance lifted, the voice of the Spirit telling him, make no distinction. And Peter has the humility and wisdom to respond. Who am I to hinder God? God gave them the same Spirit that God gave us. Now, there are historical arguments that play out across the New Testament about how the two categories of Jesus' followers, Jewish and Gentile, are going to be united into one community. But what started in fear of the other is changed. Fear of the other's non-kosher table changing and destroying one's own piety. This is a very real, reasonable, and even sacred fear but that fear is changed into love. It happens in a moment of clarity for Peter, but it took generations for the church to work out. In truth, the church has only ever worked out openness and inclusion imperfectly and temporarily, because fear comes to all of us easily. And love is hard work. Fear says, be safe, and do things the way they have been done. Love says something new may bring life and joy and a deeper kind of safety. Fear is loud and insistent. It says there is not enough to go around. Protect what is your own. Fear says the refugees and immigrants coming to our borders have problems and issues too big for us to handle. They have too many needs. Fear teaches us to say, I don't understand their language. I don't know if there will be enough jobs to go around. I can't predict what changes will happen to a culture I barely understand as it is. I already don't want change. What ideas will these new people bring with them? Fear says, what do you want from me? What will I lose? Fear says, go away and leave me alone. Love stops and listens. Love asks, who are you? Who are you who have presented yourselves at our border, seeking asylum as refugees? Love asks, who are you who has come to find a place where you can freely work 
and live and breathe and be. Love asks, what do you need, you as a group and you as individuals? What gifts of creativity and culture do you bring? What new languages and flavors and music? What wisdom and insight will you add to the tapestry of America? Fear says, go away. Love says, I see you. Fear says there is not enough. Love says, together we will make enough, and more than enough. Recently, right here in our, our own neighborhood, Christ the King Lutheran Church sent out a notice to their immediate neighborhood that they hoped to participate in a new effort by the county. Clackamas County has set up a program called Safe Overnight Shelter. The program would vet unhoused people require them to be drug and alcohol free, and then allow them to sleep in their vehicles in the church parking lot. They would only be allowed to stay from 6 p.m. till 9 a.m. And they would receive services from Providence's Better Outcomes Through Bridges program. Dozens of neighbors came out to protest in the church parking lot last Sunday. They came to protest not because they are hate-filled or awful people. They came to protest because they are afraid. And fear leads to panic and catastrophizing and anger. And because the love that says, I care for the good of the other, is hard. I was indignant when I first read about the protests, and I am still saddened. But I am saddened because as I thought about it, I realized that if the church a quarter mile down the road from my own house and our neighborhood elementary school were to begin a similar program, I might be frightened too. I don't think I would protest, but I might be afraid. And my fear would touch my greed, because I might think, what will that do to my property values? And if someone asked us here at Kairos to join the program, and allow homeless folks to sleep in their vehicles in our parking lot, I'm pretty sure I would be afraid. I hope I would encourage us to say yes, because while fear asks, what do you want from me? What will I lose? Love asks, what do you need? And how can we flourish together? Love is hard, but the good news is we are not left alone to create it on our own. Every time we choose love, the spirit is with us and bolsters us and gives us energy. Fear is easier, but love is more nourishing. Love frees us and leads us to wholeness and joy. We who have received love, who know ourselves rooted and grounded in the love of God, are called to do the joyful work of learning to listen always for the voice of love. We are called to learn to love more deeply, more broadly, more joyfully. We must not be dismayed at the brokenness in the world. All things can be broken, but most things can also be healed. Not with time, but with intention. Listen, the broken world waits for the luminous darkness and the bright light that is you. Amen.